Welcome to Greater Alton Church. My name is Tim. It's good to have you with us this morning. Today we're in a series of lessons we're looking at, and that's about making disciples. I've called it the mission or His mission. If you remember last week, we talked about how our whole year has been on the mission. That God has given us something to do, He wants us to do, and one of those things He wants us to do is to make disciples. And so we've been looking at this, uh, particularly the last last week we had our first lesson. If you didn't get to hear that, it's on our website. I hope you get to hear it and get to listen to it. What we learned was we're trying to answer a couple of questions. Why are we here uh, is one of those. You know, why are we still here? Not why am I still here as much as why are we as a church? Why is Greater Alton here? Why do we? What are we supposed to be doing? Why do we exist? And what we learned last week was basically... We are here to continue what Jesus did while He was here. That's what we learned, right? And we learned about what was He here to do? He was here to help people find Him, help people follow Him, and help people bear fruit and become like Him. And so whatever Jesus wanted done, wanted to, or whatever He did in His physical body, He wants to do in His spiritual body. Now, this, I want you to know something here. He is a part of the body. He is the head. And we're the, all the other parts. His church. And so he wants to use his spiritual body today to continue the things he did while he was here in a physical body. Let me give you a passage that we've called the Great Commission. Last, I think last week we found out that uh, the Great, it was never called the Great Commission until the 1600s. So uh, somebody in the early church never heard of this as these words referred to as the Great Commission. But it is great and it is a commission that Jesus gives us. Let's look at this here in Matthew 28. He says, Then Jesus came to them. That's a group of disciples. He came to them, a group, us, a group like us here, and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is on the heels of his resurrection. So what he's about to say is backed by the authority and power that he used to resurrect. Therefore, go. And the word go simply means as you go, whatever you're going to do, as you go through your week, as you go through your life, as you go from place to place, go and make disciples of all nations. Do this everywhere and anywhere you are. And then he tells us how to do that. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then you teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you. There's that. And by the way, that word you is not singular, but plural. He's saying, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. So Jesus is involved in this as well. You see, Jesus has delegated a job to you and I. A task, you could say. And He's delegated a job to a group of disciples. You and I do not have to make disciples by ourselves. When you stop and think about it, you weren't led to Christ by yourself or by somebody by themselves. Am I right? It wasn't just one person, but it was a, a, a bunch of people, a lot of people involved in this. Another word, get this, guys. Another word, another word for commission is committee. That's another way to say it. A committee or a working group, you could say. We hear the term right now, bullpen by committee. We're a baseball area town. St. Louis Cardinals today, if they win and the Giants lose, we'll be in the playoffs again. Don't you get tired of being in the playoffs? Okay. Not, I'm not going to comment on that Cubs comment, but uh, I'm happy for the Cubs. But but you know there's a and we know some coaches or some managers that have a bullpen by committee. What's that mean? 
Well, it means that you have various pitchers, all maybe have different talents, abilities. One can throw the fastball really good. Another one's a lefty. Or maybe somebody can throw the curve or the screwball or something. And, and, and you'll watch a manager, whether it be uh, Matheny, LaRusa, or Herzog in my history, I remember them bringing, bringing in a pitcher for one batter. Oh, look, he's going to the bullpen. Ah, it's bullpen, bullpen by committee. And this guy would come in, a lefty that threw a great sinker, strike out the batter, and then why do you come in and take him out? And here'd come a Orlarusa or whoever, and they'd bring in another pitcher for five or six more batters. And that's the way it works when you're doing bullpen by committee. And you know, I've, when I've, when I've, in my life, I've experienced that people are led to Christ by a committee of people, by a group of people. It's not by one person. Even in my own life, I know I've talked about Denise quite a bit, and, and she, had a, she had a major impact on my life, shared Christ with me, lived Christ in front of me. I remember one time we were driving a movie, and, and we're, I'm wanting to, I don't want to watch the movie. I'll say it that way. Okay? And I look over, and there's this couple right over there next to us, and I can't tell where he ends and she begins. I mean, they are just like, like so together. And I'm just thinking, wow, I'd like to be doing some of that. But you know what we're doing in my car? We're studying the Bible. She's using the Bible. She's opening up the Bible. Talk about killing a date. She's reading the Bible to me. Well, what about this verse? And we get into an argument. And, in, and in, as we're talking about who's saved, who's not, and why are you putting this, pushing this to me and all this, I look over and the couple has quit making out. And now they're both looking at me like, you know you're ruining this for us too. And I give Denise a lot of credit. She shared Christ with me. But you know, there's a lot of other people that were involved. Her church was involved in helping me find Jesus. And I'm still here because of a bullpen by committee. People make disciples. God makes disciples through a committee of people. The Great Commission. Like I say again, isn't that something that's given to a group? I'm not saying it's not given to individuals. I'm just saying you and I don't have to do this alone. We don't do this by ourselves. Because sometimes the person you're trying to share your faith with is you can't throw a very good screwball or a very good curve or a very good fastball. You need somebody else to come in and help you. And so you want to go, bring in the left-hander. And one of the rest of us, see, comes in and helps. You see, I'm here to help you win your friends to Christ and you're here to win my friends to Christ. We're in this together. Last week, we talked about that quite a bit. Why are we still here? It is a commission. It's something we do together. And, um, and boy, when the church does it together, amazing things can happen. Now, there's a great example here in the Scriptures I want, to, I want you to see this morning. Great example of, um, of a group of the kingdom of God, groups, different people working together to help someone find Jesus Christ. It's found in the book, uh, book of Acts. And if you'd like to follow uh, along, I'm going to, uh, up here on PowerPoint, I think we're going to have the New Living Translation. You say, Tim, why are you using it? I just like it. That's all. And I think it really helps me understand. So let's read it together if you want to read in your Bible or if you want to read up on the screen. Look what it says here. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with, e- with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. 
He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, did you notice that? I thought that's, that's kind of cool. He's on a mission. The wrong one. But he's on a mission. He's going he's gonna to find out what mission he should be a part of. But as he's approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He's mean. Who are you, sir? The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. When you pick on Christians, you pick on Jesus, and Jesus isn't going to stand for it. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. He's saying, I want you to get up, go into the city, Damascus, and there you'll be told what you must do. Not optional. It's not optional. This is what I want you to do. You must do this. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. It was freaking him out, man. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. There he, he remained blind for three days. He did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. Are you sure? That's what he's saying. Really? And he's authorized, he is authorized by leading priests to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went. That may be three right there, powerful words right there. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Then Saul arrived in Jerusalem when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas, 
brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. We see a group. We see some named people and some nameless people all working together to fulfill the Great Commission. It's a mission they're doing together. And by working together, they bring perhaps the greatest conversion in world history takes place. Because they work together, the Apostle Paul becomes a Christian, or Saul becomes the Apostle Paul. The persecution was working against the kingdom of God. I don't know if you know that or not. And Christianity was in trouble. And so Jesus the head and the rest of the hands and feet and mouths and eyes and ears of His body start working together. And because of that, they stop that persecution dead in its tracks and the church begins to flourish. Some, some skeptics of the Apostle Paul, skeptics now of Christianity have said, people like Ann Wilson, who wrote a book called On the Apostle Paul that was nothing but skeptical of the Apostle Paul, said, if it weren't for the conversion of the Apostle Paul, Christianity would have died. And how did it happen? A group of people worked together to make the Great Commission, to make it possible and make disciples. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at some of these people. And I want it today to be an encouragement today. There's two things I want to do in this sermon series. I want us to clearly define what we're really about here. Because we forget. I do. I forget. I forget, why are we here? Why does this church exist? Why don't we just close our doors and join some other church? Why are we here? Why did God bring about this group to be together now? And, and, and so it's defining things. Defining our purpose as a church. But also, to make us aware, there are some expectations we need to face if we're going to exist and effectively make disciples together. So, based on this, let's talk about four different people here in this, in this chapter that we notice here. And so I'm basically saying this. We can work together to make disciples. And we will work together, church, to make disciples, first of all, when I make some decisions. When I believe, first of all, that God can change anyone. you believe that? God can change anyone. And that's what we learned from Ananias. We learned, you know, that from Ananias that God, he's saying, look, you've got to believe God can, I can change people, Ananias. You know, Ananias isn't a big shot. Notice, look at this, look at this uh, in Acts 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. He's just a disciple. Lord called to him in a vision. He said, Ananias said, yes, Lord. He responds. He's not a big shot. The Bible describes him simply as a, just a regular disciple. You see, it doesn't take a professional to make disciples. Listen to me, church. You don't have to know all the Scriptures and all the Bible to make disciples. You just to be somebody. All you need to be is a disciple who's willing that will say, yes, Lord. What do you want me to do? 
That's all. You don't have to be, you don't have to be, you know, really talented and charismatic or, or, you know, real slick with the presentation. You just, you just need to be somebody that says, you know what, Lord? If you're having me cross paths with this person, what do you want me to do? And just agree, use me, Lord. Just use me. I've learned that sometimes the professionals get in the way. People question the motives of professionals. They question the motives of the professionals the more likely and more often question their motives more than yours. The way it is. And see, it takes, it starts with taking, it takes people, a church that believes God can change anyone. Do you believe that? You see, when Ananias first hears about this, when he hears what God wants him to do, he's not too crazy about the idea. Look at verse 13 here. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done. He said, are you serious? Do you know who this is? This is Saul from Tarsus. He is a bad guy. Anybody ever watch Breaking Bad? Crazy Eights? Bad guy. Is it Tuco? Bad guy. Bad. Bad people. You know, he's saying, don't you realize who this This guy is bad news. You say, oh, that's oh, Ananias. Oh, you're really messed up. We do the same thing. We do it all the time. He's really messed up. She's too far gone. Drug addicts can't get better. We say things like this. We think things like this. All they're here is to get to use people. We look at them and we say, boy, there's now there's a piece of work. Hello? Am I the only person in this room that knows that? Am I right about that? We size people up all the time. And can I tell you, as, as a minister, I don't even know if it's a minister. Maybe because I've been a Christian for a long time, I've seen a lot of people come and go. Have you? Have you been around long enough to see a lot of people come and go? And do, don't you sometimes look at people when they come and go? Then When other people come, you go, I don't know how long they're going to be here. Hello? We size people up all the time. They're a piece of work. That's going to take a lot of work. And Ananias is saying, Lord, do you realize what you got here? You got, you got the baddest, meanest, God-awfulest person you could think of, and you want me to be involved in this? See, even Ananias, as willing as he, as he is, has some, has some second-guessing going on. You see, guys, I, I just want to admit—I just want to admit to you, as as a as a guy, as a Christian man, as lots of experience, good and bad in the kingdom. Being in a church that isn't perfect—you're not going to find one, by the way. Good luck. Many times, I, when I see people, I see problems, but God sees possibilities. How different I am. 
How different we can be as a church. I, guys, I, just, I want to ask us, do we believe God can change people? Will we believe that? Or will we believe they're too far gone? You know, this... Our country's in trouble. It's getting weird, isn't it? Who are you going to vote for? What are we going to, who's going to get shot today? And it's so easy to get negative and cynical and just look at the world and go, it's going to hell in a handbasket. And we look at people that way. People in our families, our friends, in the workplace. And God says, no, 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 Tim. Don't look like that. Don't look at people like that. Don't see the problems. See the possibilities. Look how, look how God responds to Ananias. But the Lord said, go. This man is my chosen instrument. He said, hey, this is my idea. This, I believe this guy is going to change. I'm going to use him. And I'll show him how much he must suffer. But look what it says in verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Look at that. Did Ananias change his mind? Absolutely. It says he went to the house and he entered it and touches Paul. Touches Saul. And then he says this. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, was, was Ananias there? See, he's choosing to believe God is working in Saul's life. Church, we need, we need to believe this right now, more than ever, that God is busy working, and He's going to bring people through our doors that He's working on, and He's going to, he's going to bring people to us where we work, or the camp, or our campus where we go to school, or in our neighborhood, he's working on, and he needs somebody to see the possibilities and not all the problems. You see, we've got to change. Look at it. He says, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me. He believes he's supposed to be helping Paul or Saul find Christ. If we're going to make disciples together, all of us, all of us, have got to start believing and start changing how we see people. Not that they're stuck, but they can be saved. Look at the Bible says here in Matthew 19. With God, anything is possible. Who did Jesus say that to? He happened to say that to His disciples. And He says that this morning to you and I. With God, anything is possible. But Tim, look at the pro- But with God, anything is possible. Yeah, but they're hooked on... With God, anything is possible. Yeah, but they've been married so many times. They've With God, anything is possible. But they're, they're just nasty. They've got bad habits. He's foul. He's such, they've got such a foul mouth. With God, anything is possible. He doesn't show any interest. With God... Anything is possible. If we're going to work together to make disciples, 
Greater Alton needs to be a place where we see possibilities, not problems. Don't ignore the problems, but we see God working, and God can work. Number two, we can work together to make disciples when I use my resources to reach people. And I see this in this guy named Judas. This isn't the Judas who betrayed Jesus. This is a guy that lives on a street called Straight. Look what it says here. God, God, uh, Jesus is talking to Ananias. He says, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. He says, I want you to go to a house that's in Damascus. It's on Straight Street. Now, this Straight Street is still there today. It runs east to west, and it's straight as an arrow. That's why it's called Straight Street, because it's straight. The rest of the roads in Damascus are all crooked. Not this one. It's straight. It's a main drag, in other words. Now, what do we know about this guy? By the way, did you know that the Muslims built a mosque on the house that they believe is Judas's house on Straight Street? It stands there right now. These Muslims, man, they're building, building all these buildings on top of these places they think are holy. And so you see this, you see this guy. His name is Judas. What do we know about this guy? Well, what, what do you mean? Well, is he a Jew? Is he a Christian? What do we know about this guy? That's all we got is this verse that says Judas on Straight Street. It doesn't say. Yeah, but do you have an opinion? Does it matter? All I know is this guy lives on Straight Street, and whether he's a Jew. And by the way, there's argument to say he was a Jew. Maybe Paul on his way to Damascus, was going to go there anyway. And since God told him to go there to Damascus, he just ended up at Judas's house where he was going to be originally. There's people that actually believe that. There's others that think, no, when he said go to Damascus, he told him this specifically what house, and he wanted him to be with a believer. Who knows? I don't know. Jew, Christian, I don't know. I know this about him, though. He's generous. Because he opens up his home to a terrorist. I know that much. Imagine that. You know, boom, 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 boom. Honey, can you answer the door? No, you go ahead, Judas. Okay, look through the peephole. Some guy sitting there, another guy going like this, you know. <laughs> Who is it? It's Saul from Tarsus. What? This is Saul from Tarsus. Wait a minute, aren't you the guy who's come here to arrest Christians? Look, I need a place to stay. I'm supposed to come here. Will you let me in? You know what? You say, Tim, you think that dialogue happened? I don't know. All I know is that the, Judas wasn't, they don't take this as an excuse. He wasn't studying scriptures with this guy, he was just opening up his house. So he opens the door. I need a place to stay. I can imagine Judas saying, Well, there's a room here. You can stay there. Anything to eat? I don't feel like eating. And he listens to this guy pray for three days and fast for three days. And he learns, he listens to Paul's prayers. He hears what Paul's praying about. See, I, here's what I see. I see a guy taking care of a terrorist in his home, but Judas sees a man who needs Jesus and will use his resources to get him there. You follow me? And if it's just his house... He uses his house. 
Let me ask you a question this morning. What are you doing with the resources God has given you? What are you doing with the blessings God has given you? Another question. How are you using your blessings to reach others? How are you using these resources? How, how are you using your food? Your home? How are we using our cars? How are you using your money? Your family? I was telling the first service, when I was, when I was a young man and had little boys, we had two little boys, uh, I had so much fun going to scouts, t-ball, and soccer. Not only to watching my kids play, but I got to rub shoulders with other parents and get to know them. Many of them came to church with me. And now my grandbabies are here. And it won't be long, Carmody and Nora, can you imagine them on a soccer field? You know, what will the name of their team be? The Ladybugs, the Hot Shots, and Meyer's going to be on a team, the Killer Sharks, the Fire Ants. Why is it the boys always pick these violent me the jaws of soccer and the girls are like the daisies you know the nice flowery thing you know it's I, I, you know I'm looking forward to yes watching them play like the Keystone Cops all in a group you know going around but I, what I'm really looking forward to is meeting grandparents and parents and sharing my faith with them that'll be that was those those were fun times how do you use your family. I used to go door knocking. You want you ever want to go meet your neighbors? Take a kid with you. It's more powerful than a 357. Even the neighbors that hate you aren't going to yell at you in front of your kid. I noticed that. I'd bring one of my boys along. What are you doing? Oh, I'm out here inviting people to church. To church, and they look at the kid. Oh, they want to say, "Get off my lawn." The few that did, you know, they wouldn't do that. Something about using our families. Are you hide behind your kids? Yeah. No, how do you use how do you use your toys? The toys you have. Those extra toys, fellas, ladies that you have. Your big screen, your flat screens. How how are you using your tools? Whether it be a table saw or a, a drill. Are you using them? To help, are they, do they get any time devoted to reaching out to others and reaching others? How about your abilities, your gifts, your skills, your talents? Look, it says here in First Peter four: Each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. So use your gift well. Using your gifts well, using your blessings well. We're stewards of what God has given us. Do we use them? Are we as a church using them to reach out to others? See, one of the reasons God blesses you and I is so we can bless others. So we can help others find Christ. In fact, there's going to be a day when we're going to stand before the Lord. Let me say it again. There's going to be a day. I didn't say you're going to stand before the Lord. That's going to happen. But we are going to stand before the Lord as a church. What are you talking about, Tim? I never noticed this before. Matthew 25. Remember the sheep and the goats? 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Notice he says, I've blessed you. You're blessed. I've blessed you with so much. Come inherit now more. Come inherit uh, my kingdom that I've prepared for you since I started the whole thing, all of creation. Why? For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. Hmm. That sounds like Judas on Straight Street. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick. I had cancer. I had the flu. I had surgery. And you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones, see that plural? These righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty or give you something to drink? Or a stranger to show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. I believe there's going to be a time we're going to stand as a church before the Lord. And I want to hear these words. Don't you? Greater Alton, when there was someone hungry, you took some resources, your food, and you gave it to them. When they needed a place to stay, you opened up your home. When they were sick, you took care of them. You found ways to make sure they were took care of. If they needed clothing, you gave them clothing. If they're thirsty, you give them something to drink. And if by any chance they're in the county jail, you go down and visit them and encourage them. <laughs> that can happen in this church. <laughs> okay, maybe not. <laughs> it can. No, we're working together. And it's these simple acts of Judas. He didn't, I don't, I can't, look, the Bible doesn't say he had a study with Paul. The Bible doesn't say he prayed with Paul. The Bible doesn't say anything except he opened up his home. And he thought, well, if I can at least do that. And by, by the way, I'm, I believe we need to learn how to share the Word of God with people so we can give sound answers to people. That's in the book of Proverbs and, and in First Peter. We're to give sound answers. But church, until then, if we're not able to do that, while we're learning to do that, let's open up our homes. Let's open up the things we have and use our resources. Because when we do that, we make disciples. We, and Judas did that. Just think about that. It was a pivotal moment where Paul is blind and he's desperate and he gets a place to stay. And it made all the difference. Number three, we work together to make disciples. When I share in the burdens of other disciples, and I didn't know what to call this except because they're nameless. Followers, friends, if you want to call them friends. Remember the words God gave to Ananias? He said, and I will show him how much he must suffer in my name or for my name. How much trouble he's going to have. See, it wasn't long before the Apostle Paul was in trouble. He was having, having some trouble come his way. He was facing it. Look at here in Acts 9. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers 
lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. And guys, I tell you, it, you, you follow Christ, you're going to have trouble. This week I read, somebody said it this way, wolves do not attack a painting of a herd of sheep. They attack the real deal. Think about that for a minute. Wolves don't attack a picture of a sheep. They attack the real deal. They know the difference. And fake Christianity is safe. But real Christianity is always in peril. You can count on it. And when that's going on, when Saul's facing trouble and persecution, he's facing a decision. Should I keep following or should I walk away? And some people step up. Some other disciples step up and they help Him. You know what? If there's ever a time when disciples consider walking away from God, it's when they're facing trouble. When we're facing trouble. Trouble with our families. Our families think we're nuts. Or it, it, it throws a wrench in the expectation of our families or our schedules and stuff. And so we go through trouble maybe with a spouse or with a parent. They don't, they don't understand it. Was it farmers only don't, dot com? City folk don't get it. Pagans don't get it. They don't understand. They just don't get it. I'm, I'm, I'm giving my life to Christ, so everything changes. Well, I don't like the changes. Work, we go to work and we get some guff. Our friends, our friendships sometimes are sources of trouble when we, when we start following Christ and get serious about following Christ. I mean, think about it. You still have the same friends you used to have? Haven't they changed? And how many of them because you took a stand for Jesus? No, it's real. And it's when these, you know, if, if that isn't enough, you have trouble like, I'm just trying to change. I'm trying to overcome this stronghold. And it's so difficult. And so you begin to have doubts. You begin to get discouraged. You begin to wonder. And it's a pivotal time. Should I keep following or should I walk away? And it's right here, right here, where Paul, lucky for him, fortunate for him, there's a bullpen by committee. God goes, I need a lefty right now. Bring him in. I need somebody to pinch hit right now. I need somebody to come in and take and help Paul with this situation. Ananias, you, you've blown your arm out. You've done your job. I need now somebody else. And How about us? Come on. And they encourage Paul and step in to help. Look at the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 2. This is the environment of the church. He wants this to be the environment of God's church. Help, by the way, Jesus says this too. Help each other in troubles and problems. This is the kind of law Christ asks us to obey. Guys, it's so, it's so important that new Christians and even older Christians that we, for us to grow and last, that we have people that can support us, that we're supporting each other, that we're helping each other. I remember the first time, the very first trouble I encountered when I became a Christian. And I've told you, some of you have heard this story before. But I was baptized at the Williamstown, Williamstown, West, uh, Williamstown Church of Christ during the Williamstown workshop, soul winning workshop. Back way back in 1977. 
we get home and I know what's facing me. My mother and I and are going to have a problem because my mom and I would pray together, sing specials at our church together. We would study the Bible together. I learned so much from my mother. I learned to have an open mind about my relationship with God from her. And I remember Denise bringing me home. She lived 30 minutes away. Bone Gap was 20 minutes, 30 minutes away. And so she drives me, uh, brings me home, and I'm getting ready to get out of the car, and I'm nervous. My heart's... Because I'm about to tell my mom and dad, look, I got baptized. They knew, they knew all about the two years that I just trying to search this out, and they... And, they're not going to be happy with the decision I've made. I'll be going to church at this Mount Carmel Church of Christ. And my, I'm sitting there, I'm nervous. And I guess Denise is too. She gets out of the car. I get out of the car and I get right, goes, wait a minute. She comes up to me and just hugs me and starts weeping. And I'm crying with her. You're going to be okay, Tim. I'll see you tomorrow morning, Sunday. Right? Yeah, because we, I, I don't even remember what we talked about. And then she gets in her car and drives away, and I'm walking in. You know, I never have asked her to this day. I've never asked her, what did you do after you left my driveway and drove for 25, 30 minutes going home? I've never asked her. I'll tell you, if she was praying, it worked. And by the way, you do not want to mess with my wife when she's praying. She, she has been known to move clouds, rain clouds, with her prayers. I kid you not. But I've never asked her, what did you do? Because I walk in, and there's my dad and my mom sitting there watching TV. I go, look, I need to cut to the chase. I was baptized yesterday, and uh, I'm going to be going to church over here. My mother gets up, starts crying, goes into the bedroom, and I hear her just crying uncontrollably. My father grabs his cigarettes, throws them across the, the room. He does, He's not even a Christian, and he's upset. And you know why. I've hurt his sweetheart. I broke his sweetheart's her heart. I go upstairs. I'll never forget it. I couldn't hardly sleep. I set an alarm clock for the very first time in my life because I know they weren't going to wake me. See, my mom was the, if you've got a mom like this every Sunday morning, get up. Come on. We're going to church. I had that kind of mom. She made sure I went to church. She didn't wake me that morning. Alarm clock wakes me up. I get ready. I go through my routine. I grab my Bible and I remember getting my hand on the door of the kitchen opening the door, and I could hear her crying from her bedroom. I remember closing the door. So hard to do. Get in my car, and I'm bawling the whole way to Mount Carmel. That's a 30-minute drive. Pull in the parking lot. Of course, I'm going, can't let everybody see me like this. You know, I'm trying to figure out how to get to look so upset. And then I'm walking in, and what meets me is a line of women. How'd they know? Line of women. Eight of them. Norma's the very first one. My, bro- my, mo- my future mother-in-law. Future mother-in-law. Tim, it's, I just don't think it's so exciting, exciting that you've, you've decided to put on Christ in baptism and she gives me a hug. You're going to be okay. Whatever you need from me. If you need a place to stay, I'm like, and as soon as she gets done, I go, well, okay. and then, boom, another woman's hugging me. 
And it's one of the elders' wives, Betty Armstrong. Tim, I've been waiting for this. We've been praying for this. We're so excited. You're going to be a powerful... You're going to, you've made our church better because you're here. You're going to do some amazing stuff. I didn't feel very amazing that morning. But she's making me reconsider. And no sooner to get done, Mary Webster, dried up old woman, bony. Tim, I love you. She's another elder's wife. I'm so excited. We've been praying. They're whispering this in my ear. We've been, I've been praying for you. I knew as soon as Denise brought you, you were going to be a Christian. I could see it. I could see it. I thought, it's okay. And then here's Diane Napier, Mike Napier's wife, the preacher's wife. She was with me, saw my, oh, Tim, I want to tell you, I'm so excited watching you get baptized. We've been, we were praying hard. And, and Mike, when he was praying during that, the, just as I am, he said, make Tim move right now. And Tim, you know what happened? You moved and went, went to the front and you were baptized. We thought, oh my gosh, hallelujah. And then Susan Dotson. She gets, and Susan's sweet as pie and hugs me. Oh, Tim Gill. I just think you're going to... We need, we need help in the kids' ministry. When? Now? Now? And I... And he said, where were the guys? They came later. The high fives and the bear hugs. They came later. But there was just something about these women in this, in this row. How did they find out? Did Denise call them? Or did they just know? Did I give it away when I got out of the car and I'm walking to the church building like this? Did they go, come on, everybody, get ready. Tim's coming. He doesn't look like it's been a bad day already for him. All I know is, <laughs> I will never forget that as long as I live. Can you think of the row that met you? By the way, these are the people I've named. This doesn't count all the nameless people that prayed for me, that gave money. That uh, Phil and Irma Humphrey, wow, I haven't said their name in a while. They just opened up their home at a party. And I went to a party. And they let me drink their soda and eat their chips and stuff. Two fellas come to my house. They live 30 minutes away. And they said, we happen to be in the neighborhood. And they come by to say hi. We're there 30 minutes and that was it. That's all they did. Pivotal moments. You know, I've, I've had those moments not just then, but even now I have those moments where God has used certain people at the right time. He gave me a word, a look, or a touch. This old crusty disciple has a moment when he thinks about maybe I'm done and somebody... Manager, Jesus goes, bring in the lefty. Tim's needing something. You know those people? I'll never forget them. And you know what? The Apostle Paul never forgot those fellows. Look at this passage here. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Artis wanted to arrest me, so he put, put guards around the city, but some friends put me in a basket. That stayed with him. And he's talking about how weak he is. Because we all need people, right? He's saying, I had some friends that put me in a basket and lure me through a hole in the wall. And I escaped. 
be going to be like this? Is this is Greater Alton going to be like this? Where we're looking at each other, not skeptically, but looking to make sure everybody's okay. And we're not going to overlook people. But we're sure going to be there to protect them and help them. Because I don't know of a, of a greater moment, a greater temptation that makes me want to stop than trouble and suffering and harm. Makes me want to step back and go, maybe I shouldn't do this. We need to be the guys, we need to be disciples that rally around those that need us. And we don't let small group boundaries impede that. We don't say, oh, they got their small group. Some of you here aren't even in a group. And you need those people. Some people, guys, who are in a group are not in a group and they need you and I. They're going through it right now. Do you see them? We make disciples together when we stick together, when we share in the burdens of other disciples. That's what I learned from these friends of Paul, these followers, these nameless people. And number four, we work together to make disciples when I help others get connected. And Barnabas is the one. What a guy. Son of encouragement is his nickname. What a guy. He always saw the good in people. He wasn't critical. Why, why have Christians become so critical of each other? Why has that happened? Why do I do that? Why do you do that? Why do churches, churches by and large, some churches get a reputation for being so critical of what they're against rather than what they're for? I wonder if it's because we're getting away from something. We're forgetting we're sinners. All of us. There's plenty of criticism to go around. But there needs to be more encouragement. More faith in people. Not everybody was excited about Saul's conversion. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. He tried to get in there, it says, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really he really was a disciple. My thought was this. This is the Jerusalem church. This is the first church. And they got people in there that aren't very friendly and don't welcome others. In the first one. Is that something? But here comes that word, but. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples. Not everybody's this way, you see. Barnabas brings in the disciples, and look what it says. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord. Was, was Barnabas there? That sounds like Ananias. Was Barnabas there? No. He believes God worked in his life. And he talks about that and how the Lord spoke to him and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul, so Saul stayed with them. He got connected. Do you welcome new believers? Do you welcome old believers? Are we going to be like that? Because that's part of making disciples. Because when you're trying to be a disciple, you're going to fall a lot. And you're going to have people. You're going to have either critics or encouragement around you. Which will it be here? 
You say, Tim, this is fundamental stuff. Really? Because it's easy to get away from the fundamental thing. Do I welcome new believers? Do I welcome people? Do, do people, do they have to try hard to get in? Or are we making it easier for them to get connected? I'm afraid, Tim. What are you afraid of? Well, if I welcome new people, then my little small group's going to have to change. It's going to have, it'll get too big and I'll have to have two groups. Yeah. Well, I don't want that. Well, appreciate your honesty. Because you just said you're selfish. But I enjoy it too much. You don't want anybody else to enjoy this too? What group had to break up for you to have yours? Somebody had to say, I don't have to be in this group anymore. Let's form another group. So there'd be room for you. Fundamental. Ah, it's fundamental, isn't it? But this person, you know, they may only be here to use me or, or take advantage of me. I thought about that for a minute. Is that what we're going to be about? People are going to take advantage of me or are we going to just surrender and let God take advantage of me and use me to help others? You know, somewhere it says Paul said he was abducted, arrested by Christ. I think it's in Galatians. He goes, he captured me to use me. Look at this passage of Ephesians 2 as we're closing here. I wonder if he was thinking of Barnabas. Now you are no longer strangers, maybe his experience. Maybe you're no longer strangers to God, or you're no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. I can just imagine Paul remembering Barnabas and what he did to make sure he could experience that. Part of God's household. Right now I've got three grandchildren, a fourth one coming. And what I notice, the same thing happening in my two sons' homes happened in my home. When the baby was born, they didn't leave it at the hospital. They brought it home. Well, sure. And they had a... We got a special room for you. We got special clothes for you and food for you. Are you sick? To the ER we go. And then when they got older, when they went through the ugly duckling stage of the 12s and 13s right in there, they felt out, you know, oh, my voice. What's happening to me? You know, and, and other things. You know, I don't go, ooh. You've been around long enough. We need to send you back to the hospital. No, we kept them. Here's a room for you. No longer is it teddy bears. Now it's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Or now it's Star Wars. You know, no, here's food for you. No more baby food. We're going to give you this. Why? Because we're excited to have you and you're here to stay. We have you for keeps. Well, in the kingdom it's different, isn't it? I can take them or leave them. That's the family of God. That's what we're going to become. You can take them or leave them. Rather than having this attitude, a new brother, a new Christ, 
an old brother, an old Christ. I'm excited about both. I love both of them. Because when they got in here, they're here for keeps. That's what Barnabas is thinking. Paul, you've got to get connected to the body. This idea, I'll be a Christian without a church, you're crazy. Even the Apostle Paul needed a place to plug in. And Barnabas says, we've got to get you plugged in. What are you doing to get people plugged in around here? Do you include them? Do you invite them to things? Do you do things with them? We make disciples together when each of us will embrace and include and accept new and old disciples into God's family. Now, I'm done. I'm going to stop. Got one last illustration. I'm going to stop. Some of you, I don't know, you know, Nathan brought this to my attention. He showed this to me. It's uh, If you ever get a chance, you can type in there and he'll do a better job. Francis Chan, this little, he's got a little video there on how not to make disciples. It's hilarious. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And he says, and you know, Francis Chan, he's always doing this. And I just don't know. He's always he's straining out every word. You know. And he's talking about playing Simon Says. Have you ever played Simon Says? And, you know, when you, Simon Says, hold up your hand. You hold up your hand. Simon Says, walk across the room. You walk across the room. Now, now open your eyes. Simon didn't say. Watch it. Well, we know how that game went, right? But then when it comes to Jesus says, we play it differently. We play it differently. This is very important, church, because this series is not a... We've got to get it. We've got to get this in this series. What we're looking at today and yesterday, especially. He says, imagine, here's my little girl, and I go, I want you to go in and clean up your room. And she goes, okay, Daddy. And she goes in her room, and an hour later she comes back and goes, I got it. You got the room clean? No, no. I memorized what you said. Clean up your room. Wait, no, honey. That's not, wait, 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 Dad. I can say it in Greek. It'll help. Because no, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. Wait, Dad. I got the best news for last. A bunch of my friends are coming, and we're going to meet in my room, and we're going to talk about what it would be like if we cleaned the room. You've got to be impressed. And he says, no, I'm not impressed because the room isn't clean. See, the Great Commission over here, this is something we're not to just memorize and admire. We're to do it. Just, that's what I'm saying to you, church. I'm saying this, look, this, the last, last two sermons, it's not about shaming anybody. No, 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 no. Don't go away going, oh, I'm not doing the job. Oh, he's going to fire me. No, I'm not going to, no, no. That's not what it's about. Just do what you can. Maybe you're the, the guy that can throw the curve. Maybe you're the guy, maybe you're the person that just opens up their home and you don't have a lot more than other than to say, come on in, have a seat, watch my TV, here's a soda. I just want to host something and help and create an atmosphere. Maybe it's, maybe you're somebody going, wait a second, I see this guy struggling, I'm going to walk up and spend some time with him and just encourage him some. Maybe you're somebody that's going to, maybe you're Ananias and you're in it and you're going, look, uh, God's going to change you and I'm, I'm going to help you. Uh, what are you waiting for? That's what Paul remembered. The discussion went like this. You know, I know Ananias said it this way. Let me tell you how I remember it. What are you waiting for? Get up and get baptized. Lazy bones. He doesn't say that. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it's that. 
And maybe it's maybe it's simply going, I just want to make sure this person's connected. I notice every time I see them, they're just not really connected. And listen, we want people in small groups that want to grow. That's what we're about here. If you're interested in growing, why aren't you in a small group? You'd make it better, and you'd be better. You'd be better, and you'd make it better. It's how Jesus discipled people. The thing is, whatever whatever you're prompted, God telling, encouraging you to do this morning, I want to encourage you to do it. Just do it. This week I had a woman text me, hey, I, based on your sermon last week, I invited somebody to church. That's what I'm talking about. I watched Alan this week at McDonald's encouraging a guy to find a place to, to worship. Just asked him, where do you worship? I went, whoa. Just threw it right down out there. Right in the middle of the, of the egg, egg McMuffin. Boom! Where do you go to worship? Appreciated that boldness. And so to me, it's like, it, it is, it's just it's simply, just do that. Whatever God's calling you to do this morning, may God help you just do it, okay? You have a card in your bulletin, it's simply a time for you to respond. We don't have an altar call, you can respond right there. Maybe there's something you want to decide to do. Maybe you've got a comment about this sermon. Maybe some advice. I'll take it. I'm a big boy. The other thing I want you to do is, is think about, consider this. Is there something I need prayers over? I need lots of praying about this. Then let, let that card be an opportunity. Fill it out. Put it in the, in the plate when we, when we gather uh, our collection and our cards together um, during the last song. May God help you. May God help Greater Alton. May God help all churches. All the churches around here be places where they work together to make disciples. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this morning. God, thank You for this, this, these thoughts here. I really admire Ananias and Barnabas and Judas and, and these friends of Paul. I just, and and they, they challenge me and encourage me at the same time. And Father, I'm reminded of people like that in my life and we're reminded, Father, of people like that in our lives that that touched us, that motivated us, that give us that little nudge, that word, that look, that touch. They gave us some love. They gave us some acceptance. They gave us understanding. And, and we found You. They helped us find You. They helped us follow You. And they've even created, with their help, You've created fruit from their planting and watering in our life. We pray, Father, this morning, Help us. It's our turn. Help us be like Ananias and Judas and Barnabas and these friends of Paul. And help us work together. Help us make disciples by committee. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.